Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Ryan Foy is a three-time author, speaker, and wellness educator who is passionate about all things wellness and personal growth. He is the owner of Foy Consulting, which aims to help people and organizations move from good to great through his coaching services, products, and expertise. His first two books include Thought Leadership and Your Best Decade. His latest book, titled How to Thrive in Remote Working Environments, aims to support the well-being of remote workers globally. It recently hit number one on Amazon in Canada and cracked the top 40 books on entrepreneurship in North America. Ryan has dedicated his life to pursuing wellness and is widely considered a thought leader in the wellness and education sectors. You can find Ryan at www.foyconsulting.org or on Twitter at Foy Consulting. Ryan Foy, what an honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. AC, thank you for having me today. That was just quite quite the introduction. Um, and yeah, happy to be here to all the listeners tuning in. Uh, I hope your day is going well and thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to be here today. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, really honored to have you on the show. I have heard, I've heard you say in the past that you actually enjoy Twitter and I don't know what there is about Twitter that, that is enjoyable. <laughs> I sure don't seem, I don't think it's all that enjoyable. Yeah, you know, right now it's it's a pretty downtrodden time globally, right? So um, my thoughts on that definitely have changed, but um, for a while there, I, I was big on Twitter. So hopefully that'll come back, my enthusiasm for it, for sure. <laughs> nice, probably a good time to not have too much enthusiasm for it. So <laughs> yeah. pa- pandemic hits, my wife and I are working for a corporate gym, which closes down. So we get unemployed and we decide that we are going to start our own personal training business, which we run out of our home. So that's been pretty cool, but that won't be very impressive to you. Um, fun fact, early in his career, Ryan ran a mobile personal training business out of his Hyundai hatchback. Wow. That's savage. Yeah, well, kudos to you and your partner. Congratulations on you know adapting. Uh, not not an easy feat, but yeah. When uh, a few years back, I had this uh, three 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 door Hyundai hatchback, and uh, I put a subwoofer in it. I think I had a 10, 10 inch subwoofer. Put an amp in it, and uh, I would literally put the sledgehammer, the ropes, uh, small tires, whatever I had, put it in the hatchback, roll up into a field. And uh, would run summer boot camps, circuit style. Put the uh, the hatchback up, and uh, you know have have the the tunes blaring and people going. And it, honestly, that was some of the best I think best fitness programming I ever put on. And the the results that the participants had over that summer and how much fun they had, uh, it was really cool. So I, I'm glad I keep that in my bio because that's just a good memory of a good summer with that hatchback. That's amazing. I love that. That's so savage. It was interesting to move outside of a gym where you had, you know, endless amounts of equipment to, you know, going outside and and training people with a minimal amount of equipment. I was pretty surprised how good of results you could get, not necessarily accessing a gym all the time. Pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. And and one of the things I, I would like to do, or I did in the past was have like a choose your own station or choose your own activity at one of the, at one point in the workout and that really drove the motivation because, you know, the individual is like, oh, I really don't want to do this one, but, you know, it's kind of part of Ryan's circuit, but then they get to go to the next station and choose their own each time or at the end, or sometimes I would even say, you know, choose all the stations for the following week. Uh, so that was kind of fun, you know, as much as 
adults enjoy structure. They, they also love the freedom to, to get out and play and move around outside. So definitely a lot of fun for sure. Well, I have never done that before and I'm totally stealing that with my clients. So thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. And Hey, if you need it, if you need a subwoofer and an amp, yeah. I, I think I still have that somewhere in my basement. That's great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. We'll take that as well. That's great. <laughs> uh, so you are up in Canada. Is that where you grew up? Yeah. So I grew up in Eastern Canada in a small town called Oxford, Nova Scotia. And I just recently read actually that 80% of all the blueberries that are really exported in the world come out of Oxford. So for any of the listeners that enjoy blueberries, they've probably come from my hometown, which is literally a population of 1300 people. But um, yeah, like that, that's where I grew up. I, I now, my wife and I reside in Ottawa. So we're in the nation's capital here in Ottawa now. Nice. Um, uh, what was your experience growing up? Did you have a pretty mellow life? Yeah. So, you know, I was very blessed growing up, I got to say. So growing up in a small town, I had two amazing parents, uh, incredible family. Um, you know, I, I lived in the country and so I, I was outdoors all the time, always playing, figuring, you know, figuring out what to, what to do to entertain myself. And this is all pre-social media and iPhones. Uh, so, you know, a lot of outdoor play and, Really, you know, when you see me on Twitter or whatever, you see my my handle is at wellnessrf, and a lot, a big part of my books and everything I do is really focused on wellness. And you know, that is a real big part of me. And when I was when I was 12 years old, I was actually diagnosed with uh, chronic migraines, and I was part of this study through a university in Halifax, Nova Scotia, to try to figure out what was going on because they couldn't figure out how to really treat my migraines. And through the study what I realized was the days that I was actually active and, and outdoors, I was less likely or I wouldn't get migraines at all. And so following that study, I had this incredible kind of body awareness that, okay, the days I move, I feel better. And at a 12 years old, that's a very foundational thought, right? It's a very um, uh, form. Those are very formative years. And so that's really where my, my wellness journey actually started was understanding what my body needs to, to just function and, and to even be more, feel better. Um, and it really just went from there. So growing up after that, you know, participating in sports, doing different activities in high school. And then when I went to university pursuing a kinesiology degree and then a physical and health education degree. And so even now at 32 years old, I'm still fascinated by that, 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 that moment in my life that really kind of put me on this trajectory where now I have books on wellness and, you know, I'm really at the intersection between education and, and wellness. And, and so, yeah, that's really, um, I guess, part of the reason why I'm here today is I'm just very passionate about that area. And it's just a really big part of my identity and who I am. Mm. And initially you were trying to teach wellness and exercise in schools. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. So I taught for a year, I taught uh, physical education in Abu Dhabi in the Middle East. And that was an incredible experience. Uh, prior to that, I, I did a lot of uh, work in the U.S. around early childhood physical literacy. So really looking at, you know, fundamental movement skill development at those pre-kindergarten years. And that was a lot of fun as well. Um, I worked in some schools in Western Canada, mostly around more school health, a little bit around physical literacy and movement, but we're really looking at uh, comprehensive school health and, and that model in schools. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, like I say, I'm really passionate about that that intersection right between uh, education, obviously digital innovation now with what's happening in the digital space and of course um, wellness in general. 
Sure. And you're quite the writer. How did that start? Were you always natural writer? Oh, Casey, this is good. So I used to have a blog. If anybody can find it, um, it's called wellness network blog and it was terrible, but you know, (laughs) I would, I, I would write, I think I started it my first year university because I was writing all these papers and I was doing, you know, learning about the body through my kinesiology degree quite extensively. And I really wanted to have an avenue to just write on my own, not have it graded, not, not be marked, anything like that. So I started this blog and this was like way back when people were using Blogspot. I don't know if you remember that or, or your listeners will remember that, but anyway, that's really where the writing started was just an outlet for me to share my thoughts on wellness. Um, I would interview different people I would talk about community initiatives that were happening in the community I lived in. Uh, I thought I had these grand thoughts uh, at the time. And now I look back and, you know, they were pretty rudimentary, but uh, it was still fun. And so I ended up doing that for a few years and I shut down the blog because I was starting my career and just a lot more going on in my life. And uh, it, but it was always in the back of my head, you know, I, oh, maybe I'll get back to blogging at some point or maybe I'll write a book someday or, or, you know, something like that. It just felt like something was missing when I wasn't writing. And so, you know, fast forward to a few years after that, I started writing again on a platform called medium. I love medium. I think it's a great platform to get your message out uh, for freelance writing. And then it just morphed from there into writing a few books. The first one, I got to admit, I just learned a lot and we can chat about all of them here in a minute, but um, the writing journey has definitely been uh you know, it's, it's been a master's degree on its own, just learning how to write still every day, questioning, you know, some of my thoughts and and getting it out there, but I still really enjoy writing for the sake of writing. And I never really wanted to be forced to do it. And I actually just wrote a piece on that about forced creativity. And, and, you know, this Casey too, from your work that, you know, it's really hard to force creativity. You want to, you, creativity needs boundaries for sure. And it needs to have some structure, but you know, you want to be able to get your message out there, not, not feel like you're obligated to do so. And that's really what I've tried to do with my writing is just keep it creative, fresh, keep it as a hobby and just keep it as a bit of an outlet as I continue learning more about wellness. Mm, I love that. I started a blog as well. And I thought I really loved writing until I started podcasting. And that was pretty much the last blog I ever wrote. Um, So good for you for keeping up with it. That's great. And I'm glad you mentioned your books because yes, I did want to talk about all three. You and I were talking offline about how the three books can almost look like they're in three different kind of categories, but they all have a lot of commonalities. And so I wanted to talk about, um, you know, some of the things that they all have in common and the points you were making in, in each one. So tell us about writing your first book, Thought Leadership. Yeah, great question, Casey. So the first book, Thought Leadership, it was really a collection of those story, the stories on Medium. And at the time, my writing on Medium, I came into Medium at a time where those publications on there were really taking off. And I was writing for the largest publication at that time on the internet, I believe. And um, so I ended up taking some of that work, putting it together, packaging it into a book, and obviously tailoring it a little bit more. But the first book, Thought Leadership, is more of a philosophical book and it really just a kind of an approach or, or just questioning our thinking um, around certain things. But that book really just served as a way to learn about the self-publishing industry. I, I Growing up, I didn't know anybody that wrote books. I didn't have a, a mentor or someone to say, hey, you know, do it this way or don't do it this way. I just really had to figure it out on my own. And it's a really daunting task for anyone who has looked at it and hasn't done it. But 
I guarantee you it, it's well worth it. And, and so what I did was I just put it out there. And I remember actually at the time when I, when I published that first book, I learned right away, okay, I need to, you know, change the cover. I need to have a better back, you know, back of the book. Um, and I didn't realize there was formatting for Kindle and all the other digital platforms out there. So it was a huge learning curve for me, but, you know, I'm proud I did that because, um, you know, the next two, it was just very, very seamless. And I would say the, the, the one connecting point between all three of the books really is this idea of personal, of personal growth, right. And that we're always, um, you know, for anyone that's interested in personal growth, whether you're interested in kind of a philosophy of thought or thinking deep, more deeply about some of the things that, that, um, that are going on kind of thought leadership is that if you're really looking for personal growth, personal growth, relationally, personally, and professionally, and you're kind of in that twenties, thirties, forties range, you know, your best decade is the book for that. And then, you know, this latest one for remote workers is really for remote workers that want to be well, and, and they deserve to be well. And, and so, you know, if you're really looking into that, you want to grow as a professional who's working remotely, that's the book for you. So that's, I guess that's the common thread across all three. Mm, that's great. So let's talk specifically thought leadership. What are some of the other main takeaways you wanted people to walk away with um, after reading that book? And what things specifically related to personal growth and wellness did you include? Yeah, great question. So I'd say the biggest one in there is this idea of being 5% better, right? And, you know, a lot of times we we think, oh, you know, we got to be, uh, you know, to improve. And I think you might have been talking with your one of your previous guests about this too. I think it was Adam, but talking about looking back and seeing your progress, right? And you should only look back and, and judge the progress that you've made. And 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 this is this kind of a similar thread here and that, you know, every day, if you just if you just try to move the needle, whether it's 1%, 2%, 5% is a great goal. You move that needle, whether it's, um, you know, in the way you, uh, you approach something or the way that you're working on something or just you as a person becoming a better person, um, you know, that's much more tangible than saying, you know, you need to be 25, 30, 50, 100% better a year from now. It's just so daunting, right? So that's probably one of the biggest uh, takeaways from, from the book as well. And another piece I talk about too, is the idea of, uh, you know, what is really heroic, right? And how can we just be heroic within our days? And sometimes, uh, you know, that looks different for each of us, right? How we show up can be heroic in, in its own way. And I talk a little bit about that, that piece as well. So I'd say those are the two that are coming to the front of mind. Um, the, it is, it is available. It's an ebook only at this point. So I'm continually making updates to it and I'm probably going to add some more, maybe a thought leadership 2.0 at some point. Oh, that's great. I've heard you talk about the difference between leading from the front versus leading from the back. So I'd love to know what you mean when you explain it like that. And um, maybe some specific examples of which one is called for in which situation. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, there's the analogy of uh, the pack of wolves, right? And sometimes the, the, the alpha is at the front, sometimes the alpha is at the back, right? And and I think, you know, and a lot of the work that's done, and it just kind of goes back to the idea of what's heroic and what's not, right? And, you know, sometimes we feel like we need to be out front and we need to be, uh, you know, that strong, boisterous leader. But what in reality, there's multiple forms of leadership. There, I think there's like 13 or something forms of, of leadership styles out there. And they don't, they don't always need to be the loudest, most charismatic, boisterous voice in the room. 
that you typically see at the front of a podium or, you know, on the main stage, sometimes there are those backbone leaders that are, you know, at the back of the room, running logistics, running operations, making sure things happen on time. And so I think, you know, wherever we're at in our lives, whatever we choose to pursue as a craft, there are times for sure where maybe you need to step out and you need to be in that limelight and it can be, it can be daunting to feel like you need to lead from that, but you don't always need to lead from that, from that uh, angle you know, you can be leading from the back um, and, and that's totally fine. And so that's really where that comes from. And I think, you know, one of the greatest, greatest examples in my life of that is, is my wife. I mean, she, I call her that she's the quiet strength of our home. I mean, you hardly even know she's there, but she's just, she's diligent. She's wise. She's smart. She's leading in her own way. She's very in- introverted in a lot of ways, but she's a quiet, uh, strong leader that you would potentially see sometimes at that back of the pack, who's actually, who's actually the strongest in the room. So um, yeah, it's just very interesting that when when we we challenge that, that, uh, that model of leadership or what that looks like, it really does come in different styles for sure. Yeah, no, I'd love that you use the example of your wife in that scenario, because I think a lot of us, when we think of leadership, we think of like corporate world and, you know, if I'm not going to be the CEO of a company, then I don't really need to learn leadership skills. How are these skills valuable for all of us in any context? Yeah, you know, there's a modern day example of this happening right now. And, you know, without getting too caught up in it, you know, you're seeing it with with the leader in Ukraine. I mean, there there's this viral visual going around a picture with him and his, his kids and his wife talking about, I think it was a saying around, you know, we shouldn't be celebrating politicians or we shouldn't be celebrating or glorifying our leaders as much. What we should be doing is quite every, every decision that we make, you know, we really should be keeping our kids in mind and thinking about our families. And I think that is one of the strongest, like that is such a reality check because I feel like we're at a time where we're glorifying <laughs> A lot of uh, a lot of uh, say politicians and, and world leaders. When in reality, like you know, who are we as individuals, and you know, what does true leadership really look like? And you know, there's this old saying from John C. Maxwell, I think, and it's like, if you think you're a leader, you know, look behind you, and if no one's if no one's following you, then you're not really a leader. And I, I think about that a lot. You know, I think like you look at someone like Zelensky now, and I mean, he's on the global stage as this incredible leader, but you know, he was leading before this and he was leading his family. He was leading his wife and his kids and in his own, in his own way, with his own style, potentially at the back of the pack. And so again, you know, if you're really looking for a modern day example, look no further than there, because that's, that's where it's playing out. Yeah, that's great. I'm so glad you pointed that out. That is a wonderful example. Let's talk about your second book, your best decade. When did you start thinking about that concept? Yeah. So I was working for an organization in Western Canada and and when I was doing that work, it was a lot of the healthy schools work. So going into schools, talking about physical activity, talking about uh, school health, things like that. Anyway, one day I was driving to a northern community and, and it was a pretty remote area. So it was just me and my thoughts on the highway. And it just hit me, this idea for this next book. Um, and so I pulled over on the side of the road. I pulled out my phone and I literally wrote down all of the chapters that I wanted for the book. And that was really the, how it was born from there. It took me about six more months to get the courage to actually write that one because I just felt like it was more vulnerable and it was, it was deeper. It was going to be obviously a lot, a lot bigger of an impact potentially than my first one. Um, 
And that's really where it came about. You know, it was at the time I was teaching full time when I finally had the confidence to write it. And I would come home from the school I was at there in Abu Dhabi and literally just write until I would fall asleep. Sometimes I wouldn't even know what time it was. Uh, just, you know, really uh, cocoon myself and, and cranked it out. But, you know, I'm really grateful for that. I knew that that was a chapter in my life where I had the time and the space and the mental energy to do that. And so I'm really happy that I took that time to, to make it. But, you know, even that I, I took the lessons learned from that first book and I was just able to get the second one to publication that much faster and that much better and more efficient and those things. So I'm really, really grateful for all of that. But, um, you know, it's funny, I had a mentor early, earlier on in my life who said to me, and he was an author as well. And I asked him, I said, how did you know you were ever going to write a book or like what, you know, what gave you the confidence to write a book? And he said, Ryan, I, I told myself, I may not be an author, but I have a story to tell. And that statement really resonated with me before I was getting ready to press send. I was terrified. I was like, what if, you know, is the world going to wake up tomorrow and hate me? You know, like, what if people don't like this? Like, what if it doesn't sell? All these emotions, right, were, were surfacing. And I thought back to that comment from my mentor and I thought, you know what? No, like I'm going to press send on this and, and get this out and, and, and trust, trust my thoughts and, and trust my vulnerability. And I'm so glad I did. So for anybody out there, even though you may not feel like you're an author, <laughs> excuse me, you know, you have a story to tell. Yeah. I absolutely love that. I, imposter syndrome almost killed this podcast before we even started and pushing record for the first time was terrifying. Uh, you just don't feel like you have a voice that's unique that people listen to, or you, that you have the ability to create content that hasn't already been created in a certain way. And, and it's also that kind of Stephen Pressfield thing where you're overcoming resistance to create something new that, that is going to then go out and inspire people. So I love the concept. It is interesting also to have that experience. I haven't had it very often in my life, but the experience of the, this, this idea, you, you weren't like pre-thinking this. It came like through you in an instant. Um, when we started our second podcast, I didn't want to do a second podcast, but within 30 seconds of having this idea of what to do on a Friday night, I had everything done in, you know, 30 seconds a minute as far as storyboarding what I wanted to tell. So that's, that's a really interesting story. Does that happen to, you know, creative people more often as they're creating? That's a great, that's a great example too. And, you know, again, kudos to you on this podcast. I mean, you have some incredible, incredible stuff on here. Um, and, uh, folks who are listening that don't subscribe, you should definitely subscribe, but I digress. Um, Oh, I, I owe you 20 bucks for that plug. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, I don't know if you've read the book. Uh, I don't know if you've read green lights by Matthew McConaughey. That is huge... my favorite book. I love that book. Yeah. It's so good. Hey, eh? like, uh, it's just so many nuggets of wisdom that you just, you, you, you gotta go back to it. I, I find I've went back to it multiple times. But one of the things he talks about, and I think I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, structure needs, uh, or sorry, creativity needs some boundaries, right? Creativity needs some structure, not, not hyper structure, but some, right. And, and so, you know, it's almost like that, that idea of like, how do you make a diamond? Well, there's a lot of pressure, right. That it can create something so beautiful. And, and sometimes that can happen for us, right? Like there's this convergence of ideation, execution, obviously like this just doesn't happen on its own. But then there's these other elements of um, pressure that maybe come in or no turning back, which is something I talk about in your best decade. I call it, I refer to it as burning the boats, right? That, that famous story of, you know, we're going to, we're going to take the island, we're going to burn the boats because there's no going back. Right. And, and sometimes we just need to do that and, and beautiful things come out of it. 
absolutely. You know, back to your point on imposter syndrome, I think that's totally untalked or not talked about enough. I, you know, it's just, it's, it's incredible in this, in this remote time. And I know we're going to talk about that later, but um, just how much is out there, like how little validation some people might be getting or feel like they're getting because we're working in, in a lot of digital ways now. And, you know, I, again, if overcoming that is so important. I think if that's the one takeaway from this, this episode, it's just to dive in there and go. And, and Tony Robbins is really big on this too, but you know, not getting stuck in the how, like in your example there, Casey, the how came pretty quick. In my example with the book, the how came very painfully, right? I had to learn from the first time to be better the second time and then to be better the third time. But the biggest thing I find is it's just so easy to get caught in the how, you know, you, you come up with an idea, you come up with something you want to bring to the world. And then you, get, and then you start asking how, and it gets overwhelming and stressful. And, you know, my, my advice there is just to park that and to come back to the reason why you want to do it and, and just to trust your, trust your instincts and go. Yeah. I did want to talk to you about that. Why is it important to establish your own personal why and how is that done? How is that best done? What, how do we make time to be able to do that? Great question. Um, I think a common theme I've heard across some of your other guests as well is just the time that we've had or that many of us have had during COVID-19 to just really step back and reflect on a lot of things like where we're at in life, what we're doing. And I think for me, that was that was a big part of COVID-19 was take, being able to step back and just take that time to uh, to really think through that, think through my why a little bit more, think through, you know, why why do this versus do that. And come up with a better plan. I think, you know, that that was something that I was lacking. I, as an entrepreneur, I was a bit all over the place, kind of doing a little bit of everything. And and even in my even in my day-to-day work, it, there was just a lot going on. And then, you know, when things slowed down, it just gave me the space to just really pause and think, well, you know, do we really need to have two-hour meetings about this anymore? Well, no. Um, <laughs> you know, you can you can shrink those down to a half hour. Um, you know, how do you really, can, can you readjust your morning routines? Can you readjust your, your evening routines? Those types of questions I began to ask myself, but coming back to your question on, on, you know, establishing your why the biggest thing that the biggest thing that I do, and I, I talk to people, I, I talk about this a lot in, in, in my second book is around values, right? Understanding our values. So asking yourselves, you know, what are our top three to five values? What do we value the most? And for me, mine are food family, fitness, free time, and my finances. So I have five, the five F's, I call them, uh, very broad, but they keep me grounded. They keep me focused. So every action, every decision that I make comes back to one of those five values. So for example, you know, if, uh, if I say yes to, you know, traveling here and doing this meeting, is it taking away from my family? Is it taking away from uh, being able to eat quality food with my family? You know, as so you start running all these decisions that you make through your values, and then you realize, hmm, okay, well, now, you know, if I if I say yes to these things, I'm saying no to potentially living through, or I call it uh, harmonious living with, with my values. And so that's really, for me, what, what keeps me grounded and, and keeps me coming back to my why. Like, why do I do what I do? Well, I do it for my family. I do it for, uh, to have quality free time. You know, I do it for... Uh, my health and fitness, for example, going and working out six days a week. Well, why, why do that? Right. Um, and so I, for me, it just comes down to that. And I advocate for that more than anything, for sure. 
it definitely sounds like something that once it's in, implemented makes all the decisions you make in life so much easier. It's almost like you've, you've made so many decisions all at once by choosing what you're going to prioritize moving forward. Absolutely. And this is something I talk about as well. And what in your best decade, I talk about, you know, how do you get to fully living with intention? Well, the foundation of fully living with intention is clearly established values. And that defines how you live. Right. And that comes back to the how, right? Like even when you were creating your podcast, you know, figuring out, well, obviously you value connecting with people, you value, uh, you know, being your own uh, creative person, you know, whatever that value is birth potentially this podcast and you know coming back to that i think when we look at intentionality it's almost like it's funny this is a funny example but for any of your listeners who have recently been married or who are getting married you know when you're trying to pick the guest list right and you're like wow who makes the cut right who who makes the cut on that guest list who's not coming to the wedding and the same should be true with our own lives we should be doing this right like what makes the cut in our weeks and if it doesn't run through this five, this values matrix that you have uh, that are clearly defined, then the answer is a pretty easy no. And it allows you to say yes to all, all of these other things that are fully in line with your values. And to me, like that, that is uh, the real flex, I think, in our time is, is being able to clearly make those decisions and, and to live harmoniously. I love that. We interviewed Oliver Berkman, who is also an author. He wrote the book 4,000 Weeks last year in 2021. And he made the point, the quote is attributed to Warren Buffett, I believe, um, where he was asked like, you know, life advice from somebody. And and it's reported that he replied, list out the top 25 things that you are find important in your life and go to number six through 25 and avoid those like the plague. And I thought it was a really interesting way to... Um, kind of narrow down all the things that you think are so important. And it's like you landed on, you know, five of your most important values. That's kind of what they were recommending. And it means you having to say no to an infinite amount of possibilities of other things you could be doing in order to, to do a few small and, you know, maybe significant, maybe not so significant things in your life. And that's about all you can do. Absolutely. And I love that advice because, and that's, you know, I, I need to pick up that book, by the way, because um, that's just incredible validation for me. But um, that's why I like the three to five idea, right? Like have a minimum of three, maximum of five. And what you end up finding, at least in the workshops that I've done, is that people are like, oh, I can't come up with three. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, they they have a hard time solving at five, right? Because when you actually stop to think about it, then you're like, oh, yeah, I value this. I value that. <clears throat> but it's a matter of coming back to what are the top ones, and, 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 and then clearly define those and, and they may change, right? Like as life changes, I, I call it the values audit, you know, come back to your values in six months, 12 months, uh, journal about them, you know, as life changes, like, you know, your family grows or whatever that is, or your responsibilities change, those values could shift. Right. And so they're not, they're, we're not static individuals. We're always changing and growing. And I think that's the beautiful thing about personal growth, but yeah, I really, I really love that. I'm gonna have to pick that book up. It's so good. It's a really great book. We have to also point out that your best decade comes with a journal that is meant to be used like a workbook, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So that was, uh, you know, again, coming back to um, learning the book was out and in one of the, in the middle of the book, I kind of have a little section you can take notes in and there's some questions throughout and I, I leave space for the reader to take notes but uh, a lot of my readers were reaching out saying, oh, it'd be just nice to have a journal to go with this. 
And then actually, it was funny, I was looking at what Michelle Obama was doing with uh, her book, Becoming, and she was publishing a journal with the book. And I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. Why did I think of this? And uh, and this is totally needed. So I ended up creating uh, Your Best Journal that goes with the book. Um, and uh, and yeah, so they, they, they're kind of married together in a lot of the stores here in Canada. And a lot of the readers that have come back, they, they really enjoy that because the journal is very simple, very simply laid out. But there are different quotes throughout the book that I put in just to kind of prompt some thinking. But it's funny, you know, on the spectrum of notebooks and journals out there, there's some that are like super highly structured. And then there's others that literally have nothing in them. And this is kind of somewhere in the middle between you have a little bit of structure, a little bit of quotes to prompt you. Um, but really, it, it's completely open to, to the pages that you create. And I literally say that in the front of the journal you know, go create your own canvas of your own best decade. Like it's yours to paint. It's not mine to tell you, you know, and uh, I think it's just a beautiful thing. I love that. Did you make any specific wellness recommendations in your best decade? Yeah, a few actually, you know, one of the biggest ones I I talk about is, um, I mean, I talk about, you know, the the things you're going to get in most wellness books, like abandoning the comfort zone. I talk about a lot. I talk about abundance thinking versus scarcity thinking and how, you know, that, that just plays a big role. But I would say the biggest thing that it kind of sticks out to me is the chapter seven, I think is the stories that we tell ourselves. And I think we tell ourselves, you know, to put this in the context of, you know, the, the, the um, new year's resolutions that come out every year in January. If we think about this for a second, and uh, I'll, I'll try to be, be succinct in this, but in the chapter where I talk about the stories we tell ourselves, sometimes we easily go down this rabbit hole of feeling inadequate or feeling like we're not enough, or feeling like we've let ourselves down or feel like, feel like we've let ourselves go. But if we look at the, uh, you know, if we look at it a little different, the way I like to look at it is, and I put this in the context of the New Year's resolution and going to the gym and, and things like that is, just because you don't get to you get to your gym five days in that week doesn't mean you don't go at all, you know, or it doesn't mean that like the world has crumbled and everything is lost. Well, we know, were you able to get there four days? And if you're able to get there four days, celebrate that. If you're able to get there, you know, three days, celebrate that. And we need to take these small victories when we can get them, especially right now during such a disruptive time. We came out of this crazy pandemic that had a socially isolated, physically isolated not able to work out in ideal conditions in a lot of different ways, at least in Northern climates. And I think, you know, if there's one kind of well wellness section that really pops out from the book, it's, it's telling ourselves a new narrative that drives the actions and drives um, our well-being forward. Right. Because think about it like this, you know, some people have really, really great self-control and they do, I don't know, they do like a cheat meal once a week as an example, but not everybody can do that. Some people really struggle with that. And so, you know, the whole world isn't lost if you don't eat well one week, uh, you know, the next week could be better, right? You know, it doesn't mean you just kind of fall off the rails completely. And I know you have a lot of great advice with some of your other guests as well around healthy eating and, and physical activity, but that's just one of the things I think mentally that comes up quite a bit that I've seen and in, in that readers have come back and said, that's a really important key, a piece to remember. Yeah. I'm so glad you included that. Uh, it makes me think of, I believe it's James clear who talks about, you know, don't let the failure compound. Like if you miss your goal one day, just start over the next day. It's totally fine. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the, the reference to James clear and, you know, taking that a step further too, if we, if you flip it, 
And you really look at it over the long term. And this is where Darren Hardy's book, uh, The Compound Effect, really comes into play, right? Like, for example, uh, I'm a runner. I, I don't run uh, a lot, but I do run. I run mostly for my health at this point. But when I ran, when I recorded my first Strava run of 2022, I, I look back every year and I think, okay, well, how far did I run the year, uh, the year gone by? And usually that number fluctuates maybe a hundred kilometers either way, but it's usually pretty consistent. But I, I came, I, I recorded my first run of 2022 and I said only 995 kilometers to go. And so, cause I know I'm probably going to run a thousand K this year. So the idea is that like, it's the compound effect over time, right? When you, you read that uh, Strava tagline, you think, man, that guy's going to run 995 kilometers. That's crazy. But then when you think about it and you chip away at it and then the year comes to an end, you hit a thousand, you realize, hmm, you know, that's the power of consistency and the power of the compound effect over time, right? Yeah, no, I love that. It's it's changing the thinking of saying like, I, I'm not running a thousand kilometers, I'm running five kilometers a bunch of times to add up to that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always surprising at the end of the year, I find when I look back at those metrics on Strava and I think, wow, yeah, I didn't realize it did this much. Um I mean, partially because I enjoy it, but you know, when you really think about it, like I am not going to go out and run a hundred kilometers tomorrow. That's just not who I am, but I love going out running a 5k. And so I'll continue to chip away at that and see where the cards fall. Right. See where my health's at in 10, 20 years. I love that. That's a great way to look at it. The best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. <laughs> your, um, oh yeah, good. Yeah. Your latest book, how to thrive in remote working environments. That is pretty timely, my friend. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So I knew I was going to write a third book. I just didn't think it was going to happen this soon. March, 2020 hit. And like many of your listeners and, and the world and, and your example earlier that you shared, everything just kind of changed. And, you know, there was already remote work happening, obviously, but not nearly to the extent that we were kind of forced to, and it was impacting and disrupting every sector, education, healthcare, um, sectors that didn't even know that, they needed it or now using it. And, and so it wasn't like a re remote work is one sector. It was just all over. And one of the things I was noticing was, and this is just from my own understanding, going back to the, the being diagnosed with migraines at an early age, what does my body need? So I was asking myself, okay, well, what does my body need? Now I have a new routine. I'm not sitting in traffic, you know, 10 hours a week anymore. I'm sitting a lot more at my desk. I'm not getting up and going for walks as much as I used to. I need to figure out how I'm going to thrive in this new way of working. And I think like many people, we thought it was only going to be a couple months, right? And then as those months went on, you start to realize, no, like this is going to be more of a permanent thing for a lot of people. And so I was really just creating these science experiments in my own life and trying to figure out what do I need to thrive and how can I really function at my most optimal bring my best self every day to my business, to my job, to my marriage. And I was recording all that as I was going. And long story short, I ended up, you know, talking to my wife saying, should I write, should I write this book? And I did a little Amazon search, a little Google search, and there wasn't much. There was a book out there, a really good one by uh, Jason Fried called Re a Rework. And I mean, that was, he was years ahead of this, but I mean, it was mostly about the kind of the, um, the workplace structures and things like that with remote work, but there wasn't really much on supporting the well-being of remote workers, like specifically. And so I put the registered the ISBN and started started to work uh, at writing it. 
And I was actually in quarantine for 14 days. And it, it's so funny if you're a Mark Twain fan, I was literally at my sister's house quarantining with her cats in the winter and the fireplace is on the cats are looking at me and I'm like, where's Mark Twain? You know, like, I just feel like I'm, I'm ch- channeling this inner Mark. And uh, so in 14 days, I wrote the whole manuscript and obviously took some time after that to, to shore it up and get it to publication. But it's, you're right. It's been super timely. The response has been incredible. Um, you know, I, there, there was definitely more I could have done with it now that I think back, but when you look at it, it, it we, and, and even since then, there's been more books come out on well-being for remote workers, but I just think it's just, it's so important that to have just to open up the space for conversation on remote work and, and well-being with remote work. I, I feel like a lot of times it's just an afterthought when we talk about productivity and bottom lines and performance, we have to take care of each other and we have to take care of ourselves. And that's why I wrote the book. Mm. I think at this point, you know, it's been two years, most people could identify some of the benefits and some of the challenges of working remotely, but what were some of the more surprising findings you had? Yeah, super interesting question. I did not expect this. Um, like in terms of the, the what, 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 uh, what came out, but one of the biggest things that was, a that I didn't expect was a lack of conversation around celebrating milestones. So like think back to before COVID, you know, you're at your gym in your example, and all of a sudden you train your 1000th client and, you know, the company takes you out for dinner, you're hanging out, everybody's celebrating, you know, Casey hit his 1000th client or his 10 millionth view on his podcast. And, you know, there's pats on the backs and hugs and whatever, right? Well, now, or since COVID uh, and, and driving everybody remote, um, you know, I'm just shocked there wasn't more conversation over the last two years on that. And I talk about that in the book on, there's a, there's a chapter on, I call it re-motivation. And how do we continue to stay motivated for the long haul if we want to make a career at remote work? And one part of that is we, we can't just, you know, step around milestones. We have to acknowledge milestones. We have to celebrate them. You know, people are having kids, people are getting married, people are crushing it professionally. And, and they're back to the idea of leading from the back. There's a lot of people leading from the back and there's a lot of people not being celebrated for the great work that they're doing, keeping things running and keeping industries growing. And I think that they're moving forward as we, you know, if it's a hybrid workforce or fully remote or whatever it looks like, I think we need to do a better job of celebrating milestones along the way, not forgetting about them and, and just really taking the space for that. Even if it's just on your own or with one colleague, whatever that looks like taking the time to do that, I think is super important. Yeah. That's a really great point. It's interesting too. Like I know everybody had different situations around the lockdown. Some people really were like locked down and really couldn't get a lot of movement in, couldn't like go anywhere for significant amounts of time. But for a lot of us, especially out where I am, you know, nothing was locked down. They made suggestions that most people pretty much ignored anyway. Um, why do you think health just really declined in the last two years versus, you know, thrive? Like if, if people now don't have a two hour commute and can get outside a little bit more, maybe have more flexible hours, they, they can do more things. Why do you think everybody's health really didn't seem like it got better? That is a brilliant question. And I, I may not have the answer to that, but I, I, I can, maybe hypothesize, I guess. And, you know, it's funny, your, your situation there, Casey was totally opposite of mine. I mean, we were completely locked down. I would say for cumulative eight or 10 months, and I'm talking like not even being able to really leave or go anywhere during the winter months. 
So it was very challenging. I would say the biggest thing it, when you go back to what, you know, what maybe why we're not healthier from all of this, I think it's a mindset piece, right? Like we've been told kind of these restrictions are happening. And as soon as we think, we think restrictions, we think we can't do, we can't do, we can't do. We're being told not to do. And then we hang our hats on that, right? We become kind of victims of that. And, you know, as those things were happening here, I remember saying to my wife, like, well, I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to figure out how, like I, at one point I was doing workouts on the playground that was completely roped off in police tape. And I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, like I, I have a, we have a one bedroom apartment and it's minus 30 and like, there's no kids out there playing anyway, because it's a minus 30. But if I want to go in there and do a workout, I'm going to go in there and do a workout. Like, come on. Um, but I think it really comes down to that. You know, there was a lot of, uh, kind of, you know, as victimhood in that we're, we're a victim to these restrictions or, um, you know, uh, whatever that, that might look like. I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it was we just live in a very easy time. Like, you know, DoorDash took off like crazy, the multiple companies all of a sudden emerged for food delivery. And I mean, we didn't even have to go anywhere. Like at one point in our lockdown year, we were getting food. I mean, we were getting healthy food delivered, but we were getting food boxes delivered. And I said to my wife, like, we need to get outside, you know, 30 minutes a day, every single day. We have to make this a priority. We have to do it because we literally could have lived our whole two years and almost never went outside. And it's just crazy to think about. But I just think that, you know, there's a couple of factors there. One that maybe for some of it's victimhood. And then on the other side, you know, just ease of living that we have right now and not really having to abandon that comfort zone. I think we, we saw it. We're like, okay, we're told to stay and watch TV. Well, we're, we'll just stay and watch TV. And I think that that, um, that wasn't great, but uh, I think we're going to learn coming out of this that we need to definitely continue to prioritize health. Well, that is such a great answer, knowing that you went through one of this planet's strictest lockdowns and you were still able to make it a priority. You know, I, there's not a lot of people around here that have much excuse. I mean, my neighborhood alone has a, an amazing lake with miles and miles of walking trails everywhere. And presumably people had a little bit more time that they could have done that and, and definitely chose not to. I do have to partially blame Canada for that, though, because you guys produced Shit's Creek, which is amazing. And that's a great reason to stay inside and <laughs> And just watch TV. So it's partially your fault. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because, um, I think you're one of your other guests mentioned this. There's a difference between easy or there's a difference between simple and difficult. Easy and anyway, simple. Yeah. Easy and simple. There it is. And, um, you know, there were days where I'm like, yeah, it's easy for me to go outside because there's no other option, but it's very difficult to, to do a 5k run in that because my beard is frozen. It's minus 30. And the roads are ice and the sidewalks not plowed. So like very, very difficult to do. So although like the idea, it's like, oh yeah, you can just go outside and go. Um, literally there's no one out because the accessibility, it's so hard to, to really actually do that. So that was definitely a challenge. I gotta say, as much as I enjoy being physically active, there were days where I would have I would have paid to watch paint dry. <laughs> um, versus, you know, running in minus 35 or whatever. There was actually one day a photographer stopped me for the local newspaper. And uh, he said, hey, uh, do you mind if I take some pictures for the local paper? I, I don't see anybody outside. You're like the only person out. And I'm trying to capture pictures to like showcase how cold it is in, in the capital today. And I was like, absolutely. So like there's a picture, my beard's frozen, my shoulders are like frosted and 
Yeah, it was pretty funny, but I was like, I'm the only one out here. So that's here amazing. we go. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. <laughs> so for people who are working remotely, and again, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic and hopefully people have more options, but what should people be thinking about as far as maintaining wellness, maintaining health and fitness, even if they're, you know, working remotely? Yeah, the biggest thing I've seen is, um, is I mean, back to the idea of structure, right? Like having some sort of structure, regardless of what environment you move to. I mean, you could be working Costa Rica one month. Now we're going to see a lot more visas coming out in different countries where they want digital nomads to come. You know, whether you go to Portugal and you work for six months or whatever, setting up a clear structure and a clear routine, I think is a big part of that. And making sure that physical activity is a key driver of that. And and I think Charles Duhigg talks about this when he talks about keystone habits. You know, that is a keystone habit, at least for me, that allows me just to thrive wherever I'm at. Um, so I think that that's going to be a big piece. I think the other thing, and we're starting to see this now with government doing this, but creating more boundaries for the longest time, it was on the worker, right? Just to be like, oh, I, there's still emails coming in at nine o'clock at night. I feel like I need to do this back to the idea of imposter syndrome, right? I, I need to perform. I need to do all this. I, you know, I scarcity mindset, I need to keep my job, whatever. Um, we've learned though, that actually, no, like we need to keep boundaries and we need to close our laptops at the end of the day when a good day's work is done and we need to move on and we need to be, you know, the spouses or the families that we are at home and we need to have our hobbies and our passions and things like that. So, you know, now we're starting to see some policies come out. I know France was first on this. I think no email after like 7 PM and before 7 AM or something like that. Ontario here in Canada, they passed something very similar. So I think we're going to start to see more of that where there's more protection maybe for people to make space for their well-being because sometimes we just have to be told, um, you know, where, where our boundaries are. But I think if we're not told, we need to also establish those. And I think that will be key to driving, driving our own wellness moving forward. I know it's been key for me. It's been key to, with a few people I've talked to for sure. Yeah. That's a very difficult thing to do to know when enough is enough and when it is time to turn, turn all the work stuff off, especially, you know, people who are self-employed entrepreneurs like yourself, like your work is your life and vice versa. So it can be very challenging. Um, but so important to remember to be able to stay charged and avoid getting burned out. I'm sure. Um, one thing that changed for in the pandemic for you was the way that you set up your goals where before things were a little bit more stable and we probably didn't appreciate it when they were, but it was a, you were able to do kind of annual goals and now you've changed the frequency of that. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I was fortunate enough to be part of this entrepreneur mentor program where I was paired with a pretty, uh, you know, experienced entrepreneur early on, uh, in the pandemic just to really help me with, with my business. Because I, like I mentioned earlier, I think, you know, I was doing a lot of different things. I thought I had to be every, everything to everyone. I didn't have clearly established values with my business. Um, and this mentor really helped me. And one of the things that she provided was this idea of quarterly goals. And she herself ran three different businesses in three different sectors. And she swore by it that, you know, with so much disruption happening, whether it's on the supply chain, whether it's with government policy, whatever it is, um, it's just so hard. I mean, yeah, you can make annual goals and obviously, you, you know, the different businesses have different needs and, and different um, protocols and things like that. But for me, kind of starting out without it being too overwhelming, she said, just why don't you just start creating quarterly goals? And so I started doing that and it was com a complete game changer. You know, I, was a I found like I was able to get way more focused uh, and I would set three goals each, each quarter. 
I would set the indicators of those goals. So how do I know I'm going to meet them? Uh, and I would talk, I had a section on the results and I had a section for my own notes. So like, did I meet it? If I didn't meet that goal, why didn't I meet it? Did I partially meet it? Anything like that. And what I actually found was when I went back through the end of 2020 and looked at those, I achieved a lot. I mean, when you think about three goals every quarter, I mean, there's 12, 12 business goals right there that you've achieved. And, um, and that really was uh, a game changer for me. And maybe it's because, um, I just kind of like that a little bit more. It feels more dynamic. It feels less static. Um, maybe, maybe that's why I enjoy it. But I also think that there's some real good merit to it, having tested it and tried it now a couple of years. I still, I'm still doing it now. And, and it just, again, it just allows, allows me to stay more focused and allows me to just um, actually, I think, accomplish just as much, if not more in the long run. Yeah, I love that. I think it keeps you more nimble as well so, um, and and more fresh working towards those things and working towards simple things. Another way that you work towards simple things is you decided in 2022 that you were going to do one thing for your business every single day. This, I think, is another concept from James Clear, an atomic habit. I believe he's got um, a tracker that you can track this with, with which, um, by the way, like we mentioned a lot of other people's books. Are we making some kind of commission if people go out and buy these books? Yeah, I think we need to tag them. Let's tag okay. them all on social media and say, "Hey, you know, check check out your podcast and uh, it's, let's let's get it going." Casey and Ryan get a cut. <laughs> um, so, so you decided to do that, um, you know, every day. So we're kind of putting you on the spot here. But uh, have you continued with that? Are you doing at least one thing every single day for one purpose? Yeah, absolutely. So I have continued with that, and what I actually find is uh, one thing kind of spills into two or spills into three. And it's funny, one of the things I've learned as an entrepreneur is to trust my productivity cycles and to, to recognize that, you know, maybe there's one week where I have a really intense amount of productivity or creativity. I'm just able to bring a lot of value to my business and really drive a lot of value to the outputs of the business. Um, and then other times, not so much, right? It kind of comes and goes in waves. And what, what this has allowed me to do is be level through those waves so yeah, like when I'm really feeling that, that, um, uh, trusting that energy, trusting that productivity cycle, and I'm, I'm able to do a lot, maybe I'll do five, six things every day for the business, but then the days where I'm not feeling that and the cycle is a little bit down, or I'm just not feeling like, you know, I really have that much creative output in me. Then I just do that one. So it's kind of interesting, um, seeing how it continues to play out for me, but yeah, I've really, I've really stood by it. And, and I find, like I say, it just allows me to stay focused. It allows me not to get too, um, you know, too overwhelmed either with, with, um, with, with doing too much. And another author talks about this is Jim Collins. He talks about controlling the flywheel in good to great. And sometimes you get too much momentum and the flywheel starts spinning too fast. And so how do you control that? And I'm kind of at that tipping point right now in my business where, the momentum is going really, really well. But if I start doing 10, 20 things every day, it's going to spin out of control anyway. So, you know, I need to rein it in a little bit here, do one thing a day, maybe if I'm feeling more, do a little bit more, but it's definitely been a really good approach for sure. That's great. And keep it measured even on days that you feel like you should do a lot of things, I think is a really smart approach. And I think if you look back, you know, in 2023, you will have done so many things, 365 plus things that you have done for your business, where that can be completely overwhelming when you approach it that way. But it's like we were talking about earlier about taking small steps. Once you do a small step repeatedly, that amount 
amounts to a lot over time. So I love the concept and that's definitely something else I'm going to steal from you. Tell us um, a little bit about what you're working on for the future. It doesn't seem like you're going to be slowing down on writing books anytime soon. Yeah. So I'm kind of at this place right now. I'm do, doing a lot more uh, like summits and conferences and speaking engagements, which is amazing. And really excited about that. I'm really excited to get out in front of people again. You know, I have a book event coming up in person for the first time in like two years. So I'm really looking forward to that, taking this next chap- chapter, just to get out in front of people, talk to readers, uh, get to conferences, speak to people. Um, yeah, just reconnect again. I think that'll be, that'll be really, really important for me and, and just really good from, from a relational standpoint. So that's, that's what I'm going to be doing a lot more of kind of in this next quarter. Uh, beyond that, I have, uh, I have registered another ISBN. So I plan on writing another book and, um, without diving too deep into it, because it's still very much an idea at this point, uh, it'll be very similar to, uh, the theme of this digital age that we're in. And I think that there's a lot more work that needs to come out and to support people in this digital age. And, and this is not going away anytime soon, right? We're, we're seeing it, you know, the pace of communication, the pace of inf- information, now the pace of our currencies, every, everything is completely going into overdrive and how do we navigate that? And so that's going to be kind of the the next book, probably in 2023 at this point, for sure. That's great. Oh, we will definitely look forward to that. And, you know, judging by your last books, I'm sure this would be very relevant and time sensitive. Um, So we'll definitely watch out for that and be very excited for that. This has been a really fun conversation covering all your content. Tell us um, if you had one thing that you would like to leave with the listener um, that you'd like them to take away from this conversation, what would that one thing be? Good question. Um, one of the things that's popping into my head here is, you know, I'm current. Well, actually, yeah, I, I got two things, but I'll, I'll stick to one. So, um, you know, the biggest thing I'm seeing is we cannot, we, we, we have to remember that there's a difference between communication and, and, uh, and connection. And I think right now our world needs so much connection. We need, we need empathy. We need a lot of things, but you know, there's a lot of communication uh, in a, on a lot of different platforms pretty much all the time, but don't forget to kind of slow that down and truly connect with people, uh, truly get in person with them if you can. Um, if you can't, you know, connecting with them uh, virtually is, is definitely important. But I think that's kind of the one thing I think right now that I'm seeing. And, and I, the, again, going back to what I'm looking forward to is just really connecting with people again and um, and getting back out there. So I would say that that's my, my, my biggest piece of advice at this point. I love that. What a great piece of advice and what a great conversation. Ryan, where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work and also potentially work with you in uh, the consulting business? Yeah, for sure. So I think you mentioned in the intro, but uh, foyconsulting.org, you can find me there on my website. Uh, Twitter, as much as it's downtrodden at times, uh, I'm still on there. So you can find me there just at wellness RF and then LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there as well. You can just search Ryan B Foy. Um, and then uh, you can find me on Facebook too. Just my Facebook page is Ryan Foy. So I'm happy to connect. I, you know, I say this, uh, or I've said it before with other folks, but I really, I love keeping conversations going and chiming in where I can. So uh, definitely reach out. Love to love to chat with you and get to know you. 
Excellent. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Ryan Foy, owner of Foy Consulting, thank you so very much for all of your work. It does cover a wide number of topics, but like we said in the beginning, and as you demonstrated in this interview, there's so much commonality and something really that runs through all of it is connection and being connected to one another. And I really love that message. So thank you so very much for all the work that you do. And thank you for taking the time to be on our show today. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Casey. And again, thanks to all listeners for tuning in. Looking forward to uh, to hearing some more episodes soon. Take care. Awesome. Thank you very much. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. It's really inspiring and amazing to see some of the reviews that we have been getting and also to receive so many messages and emails about how these episodes have improved our listeners' lives. And so thank you so very much. We are so happy to bring these episodes to you and provide them for free. And we really hope that they help you in your life. Uh, We have just passed two major milestones, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And basically, we did both of these in pretty much the exact same day. We have just passed 100,000 downloads worldwide of Boundless Body Radio, and we have just launched our 250th episode, which is absolutely amazing. Like I said, I never imagined we could reach that many people. We always want to keep you updated on things that we're doing on our website. So if you go to myboundlessbody.com, you can always see what we're up to. This month, we have a link that you can go and schedule a functional movement screen, which we do virtually over Zoom. A functional movement screen is a series of seven different movements and three different clearing tests, which is designed to find weak links in the body, such as muscle imbalances and joint stability issues. It's a really great tool for discovering inefficient movement. And even if you're not experiencing pain in certain areas of your body. It's something that can prevent injury later on. Some muscles need to be stretched, some need to be strengthened, and we can help you create a plan around that so that you can stay healthy and continue to move well for the rest of your life. So again, you can go and schedule that at myboundlessbody.com. You will also see the other services that we offer. You can always schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us to really chat about anything that you like. And remember, if you are enjoying Boundless Body Radio, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on Apple. It really helps get this passion project out to other people. And thank you again for tuning into Boundless Body Radio.